You know, when I hear that song, for some reason, I tend to focus on the line that says, build your hopes on things eternal. And uh, I'm thankful that I'm not building my hope in this world, but I'm building my hope in things that go beyond this world, things that transcend this world. And God is unchanging. His kingdom is unchanging. And we're talking about the kingdom of God today. We're picking up where we left off, and we're talking about the importance of the church, the importance of the church. And last time, I didn't even get through my preliminary remarks. Uh, it was kind of went long, and so we're going to pick it up. So I'm going to do a very brief uh, review, and then we're going to come in where I left off, because we need to understand what the church means, what the church stands for. We need to understand that the church is a part of the kingdom of God. It is a vital part of the kingdom of God. And so uh, we'll go to the next slide, and quickly I'm just going to go through. Uh, we talked about how the church is not a political party. Uh, we talked about how uh, it's not just a building. Amen. We went through that. We won't belabor that. In the next uh, slide, we talked about five ways to be unsatisfied with this or any other church. And I mentioned that uh, if you want to be unsatisfied, don't participate. Just consume. So just be a taker. Don't be a giver. How many know the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive? Now, I'm going to mention that um, Brother McGee has set up and the different departments of the church are starting this week and over the next few weeks. Uh, they're going to be setting up booths, uh, the Sunday school department, the greeter department, uh, the usher department, all the various ministries of the church that need uh, people that will labor in the harvest field. And uh, they're going to be showing what the requirements are to be involved in those various ministries. And then uh, we have our foundations class starting. So uh, foundations is the class that will teach you what you need to do to be involved in the church in a leadership capacity or in uh, a capacity where you're in front of people or doing something that requires spiritual maturity. So the leader, the foundations class will get you started if you want to be involved in a ministry of the church. And I believe, and I, I know I, I get pushback from this sometimes, but I believe that every single person has a ministry to do for God. I believe that every single person has a ministry that God wants them to do. And now when we say things like that, because we use the word ministry and we immediately equate that with being a pastor or preaching or teaching behind a pulpit. But ministry is something that you can do everywhere that you go. Ministry is everything. Did you know that uh, as the assistant pastor of this church, preaching is just about 1% of what I do on a weekly basis. It's about 1%. It's, a very, it's, it's important. It's vital. Uh, we need the preaching of the word, but ministry is far more than being in front of people. So I'm going to be harsh for a minute here, and I'm hoping that everyone can take it. But you are not qualified to preach if you're not willing to take out the trash. Hello? All right. So if you're not willing to serve, if, if the only ministry that you feel willing to participate in is an upfront ministry, a singing ministry, a musician ministry, a preaching ministry, then you don't have a genuine calling of God because ministry is servanthood. 
And so we're called to serve first. And really, Paul said we're called to be saints first. And so if you can't be a good saint, you can't be a good minister. You've got to be a saint first. But I believe that God wants every single person to find themselves in a place of ministry where they are participating and where they are giving and they're helping others to grow and not just receiving for themselves. That is the sign of spiritual maturity. You know, a baby in the physical, what's the number one attribute of a baby? They cannot give anything to anyone else. Babies are wonderful. We love them. But a baby can't even feed themselves. It takes them a while. And, uh, you know, I remember when my kids were first starting to eat solid food. Um, for a long time, I was cutting the pancakes up because they, they could eat it, but they couldn't cut it up. And so and then they progressed. And now I have to take the knives away from Talmadge because it's a whole nother story now. Uh, and so it is in the spiritual you need to progress to a place where you're mature enough in the spirit to where not only are you being fed, because we all need to be fed once in a while. We all need to have a meal prepared for us, but that you can also feed others and help others spiritually. So, and you will be unsatisfied with any church that you're involved with if you do not find an area of ministry that you can participate in. You will be unsatisfied because you're out of sync with the will of God. God wants you to enter into a place where you can receive blessings because you're giving. Amen? And so those are going to be out there. I encourage you, uh, if, there's, if you want to be more involved or if you want to find an area, uh, there are many, many, many areas in this church where uh, people are working very hard and they need help. And they simply need laborers to be willing to enter into the harvest field. You know, when Jesus said, you know, the harvest is, is white, it's, it's ripe, it's ready, and, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We always quote that scripture and we immediately think there's not enough preachers. There's not enough people willing to start churches. That's how I usually hear that verse uh, preached at a camp meeting. You know, there's not enough people willing to go start a church somewhere. Uh, and we need more laborers in the harvest field. But that isn't uh, only what Jesus meant. Jesus was talking to everybody. He meant there's not enough people who are willing to just work in the kingdom of God. There's not, a, and every church has that. They say that the typical church, uh, just like the typical business, uh, about 20% of the people do about 80% of the work. They say that's true in the business world, whether it's McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, or a church, that's how it works. It ought not to be that way in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, if we could ever unify to the point where everyone was laboring to the best of their ability, and we know that some can do more than others, some have more strength, some have more health, some have more ability, some have different talents. But if we would all give what we have, I'm just going to tell you, it'd be like that little boy who gave Jesus the loaves and fishes. Jesus would break it and bless it and multiply it. And there would be revival that would break forth simply because we were working and investing in the kingdom of God. All right, if you want to be unsatisfied, constantly criticize leadership. We talked about that. Number three, don't spend time with your church outside of the church building. We talked about how you need to have relationships with godly people, with uh, saints outside of the house of God. Cultivate friendship. You will be unhappy with any church that you're a part of if you have not cultivated relationships with people 
where you talk to them and see them outside of Sunday morning or Wednesday evening or whatever it is. You need to have relationships so that you can be involved in what's happening. Number four, believe that everything should be about you and for you all the time. We talked about that ad nauseum. We won't do that again. And number five, this is the one we didn't get to, be unhappy with the fact that it isn't perfect. Be unhappy with the fact that it isn't perfect. Now, I love this church with all of my heart. I really do. I remember vividly uh, when, when I pulled my trailer up and parked it right over there. And um, poor Brother Jinx and Brother Jimmy, we, we couldn't get power running to the, the, uh, the trailer. And uh, it, was, it was cold. And, uh, and, and they came over and spent hours helping me get the electrical worked out over there. And the uh, pastor had asked me to preach a revival. I was an evangelist, full-time evangelist. And, uh, and I knew when he asked me to come preach, you know, he kept asking me to stay. And a month or so went by and had other meetings, was going and coming back. And, uh, and I remember when, when he asked me to consider uh, staying here in Georgia. And I was really praying about it. I had to pray especially about it. There was another church that wanted me to come be the pastor. Uh, a large church in Indiana, and I was, I was considering it. I was praying about it, and there was another church that was wanting me to come do a three-month revival, and, uh, and so I, I was really asking the Lord, and I'll never forget, uh, I was right there in the altar, right there, kind of in the end, in the dark. No one was in the building, and I was praying, and I remember vividly. It's one of the three times in my life that God spoke to me in what I would consider to be almost an audible voice uh, when I was seeking his will. And he said, this is where you're supposed to be. Now, I'll be honest with you. There were a lot of reasons in my carnal flesh that I could have said there are other things that might be better. There was places I could have gone and made a lot more money, things a lot like that. And I prayed about it. And God said, this is the place for you to be. And immediately a love for this community for this region and for this church grew in my heart. I love this church. I think that this is the greatest church in all the world. I believe we have the greatest pastor in the world. We have the greatest bishop's wife in the world, the greatest saints in the world, the greatest young people, the greatest children, the greatest ministers. I believe that the greatest singers. And, and honestly, uh, I'm saying that because I look at my church through the lens of love. Uh, now, I can also be honest and say that uh, our church is, is talented. We have wonderful things in this church. We're blessed. Uh, I've been to churches much bigger than this church that didn't have the talent that we have in the, in the saints of the church and programs. I'm proud of my church in a godly way, and we ought to be that way. Amen? We ought to be that way. But I also know that this church is not perfect. Hello? It's not perfect. Just like I'm not perfect. And uh, in, in the same way, I, I look at my children and I love my children. I would lay down my life for my children. I wouldn't even have to think about it. If it came to that, I'd lay down my life in a heartbeat. And, uh, and I love everything about my children. But I know my children are not perfect. Hello? If you think your children are perfect... It's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to be great big grown-up brats someday. 
That's kind of how that works. Uh, so my children aren't perfect, but I love them with all of my heart. And so because I know my children aren't perfect, I love them anyway. I love them unconditionally. And I do work to help them in areas where they need to grow. And so it's the same with our church family. We can love our church with all of our heart. And we can realize that there's imperfections. And we can work to see those get better. We can pray for them to get better. We can do our part to help them get better. There's nothing worse than people who point out all the flaws but never contribute anything to help. Hello? Right? And so uh, we can recognize that and still love our church. If you are looking for a perfect church, you will never find it. You know, there's the old joke that says, you know, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Right? So there's no such thing as a perfect church. Why is that? Because we are human beings. Human beings are not perfect. We never will be perfect. We're being perfected. We need to get better. Every single one of us. I want to get better. How many want to get better? How many want to do things better? How many want to develop things in your life? I do. There's a lot of things that I, I wish I was better at. I wish uh, I, sometimes I have to pray for my attitude. Anyone ever get a bad attitude? I do. I get a bad attitude sometimes. And I have to say, Lord, take this rotten attitude out of my heart. That's because we're human and we're growing in grace and we're growing and being perfected in the image of God. And if you are seeking perfection in earthly people, you will always be disappointed. Always. Every single time. If you're looking for, for perfection in a pastor or in a singer or in, uh, in a teacher or in a saint, you're never going to find absolute perfection. The only place that you will find absolute perfection is in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek his face and you will find perfection. And he will also give you a grace to be able to love people who are not perfect and to help them be perfected. That's what the church is all about, by the way, is helping one another because we're not perfect helping one another to get better. That's what, that's what the kingdom of God is all about. Why do we gather together to worship? Why? Because your faith builds my faith and your prayer builds my prayer. And when, when I'm feeling weak, you might be feeling strong. And when, when you're feeling weak, I might be strong and able to encourage you in the Lord. We encourage one another in the Lord. And when someone is struggling or if someone is, is battling a temptation, you shouldn't battle temptations quietly. You shouldn't battle temptations in secret. That's the devil's playground. When you're doing everything, all of your struggles are in the secret place. You should let someone that you trust know and allow them to speak into your life and say, hey, listen, you need to, you need to stop going there. You need to stop playing with that. And that's what we do as the body of Christ. We help one another to grow and be perfected. Because why? We're not perfect yet. Amen? All right, the next slide. So the church is, here's a few things. We're still in preliminary remarks, and I'm going as fast as I can. Here's what the church is. We've talked about what it's not. The church is a hospital for saints and for sinners. Everyone say that with me. Saints and sinners. Saints and sinners. Brother Jinx, are we able to go to the next slide? Is it not working? For saints and sinners. So uh, we need to come and sometimes be 
be touched by the Lord. But also it's a hospital for sinners because sinners need to be saved. And so it's both. And balancing, here's the balance of any church. A church can become so inward focused where we're only reaching out to saints and we're ignoring sinners. Or it can become so outward focused that it's only ministering to sinners and it's never ministering to saints. Anybody know what I mean when I say that? A church has to find a balance to where we're helping one another stay strong and to grow. And we're also reaching the lost. And what that means as saints is we understand that there are going to be services that are not just for our issues. There are going to be services that reach specifically for the lost. By the way, I'm just going to preach it. That's why we have more than one service on Sundays. Hello. Right, because on Sunday mornings we have people teaching upstairs. We've got sometimes as many as 90 people upstairs. Uh, and then... Uh, and then we have uh, our Sunday school, and then people are spread out. And then on Sunday mornings, it's our biggest crowd. And so we preach a little more evangelistically. And then on Sunday nights, it tends to be a sermon that is more directed towards the saints and, and, what, and their needs. And then on Wednesdays, we're growing together in Bible study. That's why we need to forsake not the assembling together of ourselves. And so much the more as the day of the Lord approaches because... There are going to be services directed for different people at different times. And if you're only coming to one service a week, you might miss what God is trying to do in your spirit. Because sometimes God is dealing with different groups of people at different times. And so if the, that particular message isn't just for your problem, you know what you ought to be doing? Praying that God will help the person that it's intended for. Praying that God will... Minister to those in the altar and be an altar worker during those times. And if you'll stay faithful, it might just be the very next one is directed exactly at your need. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had people come to me and say, well, Brother Ryan, I'm dealing with this. I haven't heard this preached about in a while. And uh, I'm struggling with this. And, and it's like I'm not getting fed. And I've looked at them and said, you know, I just preached about that exact thing last Sunday night. Where were you? I just preach on that very thing. And the power of God fell. And the reason that you're struggling spiritually is because you're not faithful to the house of God. And so you're, you're, look, you're wondering why you're not growing. And the reason you're not growing is because you are not there to be a part of what God is doing. And so the church is a called out people. Everyone said a called out people. The word church comes from ecclesia, meaning assembly. Or the called out ones. We are holy. We're sanctified. We're set apart. Amen. Number three, the church is a defender of biblical truth. And this goes back to the idea that the church has an obligation, a responsibility to be obedient to the word of God. I have to preach the word of God regardless how it makes people feel. Did you know the word of God can offend sometimes? It does offend sometimes. The word of God is not always a self-help sermon. Sometimes the word of God uh, can cause us to be uncomfortable because God is, is calling us to change, and change is uncomfortable. And so the church has to defend biblical truth in the face of a culture that is constantly changing. You know, I, I don't want to get too heavy, but, you know, New York just uh, legalized abortion right up till 
right up till nine months. I mean, this is, we're talking right up till birth. Our culture is growing incredibly dark and further and further away from God. And the more the culture moves away from godliness, as it has been doing, the more the church sounds radical. And there are things that preachers will say that sound radical now that are not radical. It's the culture that's radical. But the church has to be willing to defend those things. And as saints in the church, uh, we shouldn't be uncomfortable with that. We should amen it. We should be saying, amen. I want to hear that. I want to know that. I want to I defend that. The church is a body of believers. It's the body of Christ. Everyone said the body of Christ. It's a place of worship. It's a place dedicated unto the Lord. We talked about how this building is not the church. You and I are the church. But this building is sacred because it has been dedicated unto the Lord. This building was designed and built and it has been set apart for use in the kingdom of God. And it is a place of worship and it is a place where the presence of God moves freely because we have surrendered it and dedicated it to the Lord. The church is the bride of Christ and the church is purchased with the blood of Jesus. How many are glad you have the blood of Jesus applied to your life? I'm thankful for the blood that's been applied. Okay, next slide. And now we're going to look at our text. Acts 2 and 42. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Acts 2 and 42. And we're going to talk about the first church. The very first church. Because this is an apostolic church. Everyone said apostolic. Um, and what we mean by that is we are committed to preaching and teaching what the apostles preached and taught as given to them by Jesus. Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly, this is the first church, in the apostles' doctrine. Everyone said doctrine. Look at your neighbor and say doctrine matters. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Everyone say they got together. They had church, and not just church. They had fellowship. They fellowshiped in church, and they fellowshiped one with another. And in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Everyone said prayer. So let's look at a couple attributes of the first church that we also need to have, that every genuine church should have. Number one, they gathered regularly. Everyone said regularly. They gathered regularly. They had a lot of church. They had a lot of fellowship. They had a lot of getting together. The church was designed to be more than just something that we set aside a little bit of time for once in a while. The church is something that we are a part of regularly, and we are together regularly. Number two, they were steadfast. Everyone said steadfast. They were continual. They were faithful. They were devoted. This was serious business for them to be, to be committed to what was taught to them. They were committed to not deviating to the left or to the right, but being faithful to the word of God, to the apostles, to the teaching, to the doctrine that was given from Jesus through the apostles. They were committed to that. It was serious business. Doctrine was not just a side thing. They didn't just come to church for the praise break. I'm all for praise breaks. Anybody like a good praise break? I think we should have lots of praise breaks. But they weren't just coming to church for goosebumps and a praise break. They were committed to the doctrine. 
Because, you know, you can go a lot of places and feel emotional. You can go to a rock concert and get an emotional high. You can, you can go to a play and get an emotional high. People do it all the time. People go places and they feel emotion. I believe that when you're in the presence of God, you will feel emotion. But it's more than emotion. You need to have the doctrine that was once delivered unto the apostles. Because that's where the strength comes from. That's where salvation comes from. Number four, they emphasized fellowship. They emphasized fellowship. Everyone said fellowship. Number five, they emphasized breaking bread or community. The church was more than just a gathering once in a while. It was a community of believers. They looked out for one another. They cared about those who were sick. They cared about those who were hurting. They cared about those who were in need. As a church, we are called to lift one another up more than just on Sundays, but to be concerned with one another throughout the week and to be caring for one another. And they emphasize prayer. Everyone said prayer. They emphasize prayer. I believe that every apostolic church should be a church of prayer. We should be a people of prayer. We should be calling on the name of Jesus. We should be praying in our private lives. We should be praying at church. Prayer time should not be the quietest time of the service. Prayer time ought to be one of the most energetic times of the service where we are literally connecting with God. And when we pray, other things begin to naturally fall into place. Things start getting out of sync in a church when there's not enough prayer. Just like things will start getting out of sync in your life when you're not praying. Can anyone be honest? There's been times in my life where I've let myself get too busy. And I didn't mean to, but I let my prayer life just kind of go on autopilot. I just kind of prayed, you know, here and there. And uh, you know what happened? It happens every time. I start struggling. Churches are the same way. When, your prayer, when prayer starts to wane, everything else starts to kind of become sluggish. But when a church is connected in prayer, the power begins to flow. It's like plugging into a light socket. It's just like the electricity begins to flow through the body of Christ. And we are a people of prayer. Amen? A people of prayer. Okay, next slide. Um, now let's talk about this. Many people do not see membership or participation in church as very important. This is kind of a new trend that's taking place. Um, people don't see it as something that they need to do. Some say the church cannot save you. They say Christ saves you. They say we need Christianity, not churchianity. I've been hearing this for you know, probably 15 years, and that is true. But what is usually meant by folks who say this is that one can please God and be saved without participating, without being a member, without being connected to the church or a body of believers. And the question is, Will Christ save people outside the church? That's the question you need to ask yourself. Will Christ save people outside the church? Others say, I'm a good moral person. I believe in God and I treat my family and neighbors right. Why do I need church membership? I hear that uh, all the time. Uh, many young people especially have rejected organized religion. And people are, I've noticed that the word religion has become kind of a bad word. You ever hear people talk about religion kind of like it's nasty or dirty or something like that? Religion is just dirty, and I don't, want, I don't need religion. I just need Jesus. Well, I got news for you. Uh, Jesus preached a religion. 
All right. And they may claim to accept Jesus, but they want nothing to do with the church. So that's kind of a growing trend. Millennials especially. I'm barely a millennial, uh, 35 and younger, uh, born in 1983. So I, I squeaked into that millennial category. They say that millennials, uh, about 75% of millennials do not go to church. But a huge percentage of, of those do consider themselves to be Christian followers of Jesus, but they just don't think that they need the church at all. And let me just say that it manifests in their lifestyle because when you're not connected to the body of Christ, you're, you're not going to have spiritual wisdom or maturity. Uh, even some church members say we should preach Christ, not the church. They think we should teach unsaved people about forgiveness and salvation, which we should, but should not teach about the church until after they're saved. It might drive people away or something like that. That We shouldn't call people to commitment to the church. Other members show by their lack of attendance and involvement that they don't consider church participation to be essential. And this is very dangerous. Next slide. Now, the church is essential because of its relationship to God and its role in the plan of God. The gospel clearly shows that the church is part of God's eternal purpose and Old Testament prophecy as well. Jesus planned, now listen to me, Jesus planned and built his church. He built his church. And all saved people in the New Testament were members of that church. The New Testament church was a vital part of worship to God and to evangelism and to spiritual growth and steadfastness. The church is essential to the Christian walk with God because God ordained the church himself. I hear people say sometimes, well, the church is a man-made institution. The church is not a man-made institution. The church was built and founded by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, I've been saying this for years and I'm going to say it again and I'm going to say it until Jesus comes. Jesus did not say the gates of hell shall not prevail against Brother Osborne. Jesus did not say the gates of hell shall not prevail against Brother Ryan. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. What that tells me is I better be in the church because I don't want the gates of hell to prevail. And so he, Jesus founded it. Jesus put uh, the institution in place. It is an institution. Institution is not a dirty word. Let me just give you a list of things that aren't dirty words. Tradition's not a dirty word. Religion's not a dirty word. Institution's not a dirty word. Holiness is not a dirty word. Hello. Regardless of what culture says, authority is not a dirty word. Now, we know that every one of those things I just mentioned can be abused, perverted, and used in a way that is dangerous. But just because authority is abused does not mean authority is bad. I see Brother Jason back there, uh, our resident police officer and sergeant. And uh, I've said this many, many times. Brother Jason knows uh, every once in a while there might be a police officer who's not what he ought to be. But does that mean that all police officers are bad and that we should do away with police officers? Absolutely not. I'm thankful for our police force. I'm thankful for military. I'm thankful for people who protect us and look out for us. Uh, one person abusing authority 
does not change the fact that authority is necessary. One preacher who abuses authority does not mean that God has not ordained ministerial authority. What you have to do with spiritual maturity is say, that man is a false prophet. That man is not what he ought to be. That man is out of the will of God, and, and he ought to be ashamed, and God will take care of him. But that doesn't mean that we don't need the things of God. There might be religions, and there are. There are evil religions. There are religions that are completely false. There are religions that abuse people. And all of those things. Why? Because Satan did that on purpose. He perverted religion for his own purposes. But that doesn't mean that there is not a pure religion. We used to say it that way, a pure and undefiled religion. And the only way you're going to have pure religion is to go back to the first church and be apostolic and do what the Lord himself instituted in the word of God through the apostles. And so let's ask this question. How essential is the church to our salvation? Let's look at Ephesians 2 and 19 at the next slide if we could. Ephesians 2 and 19. It says this, now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We are a part of the family of God. We are a part of the household of God. And we need that so that we can grow and mature together in the kingdom of God. First Timothy 3.15, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. This is the Apostle Paul, and I love how he says this. You know, Paul is giving parameters in First and Second Timothy of how the church, everyone said the church, ought to operate. And by that, he gives parameters for how, point yourself and say, I'm the church. So he gives parameters for how we as the church should operate when we're not in the house of God, okay? But he also gives parameters on how we as the church ought to operate in the house of God. And so Paul starts giving instructions and he says, I, I'm gonna, I want you to know how that you ought to behave yourself in the house of God. Did you know there, there are things that we should and should not do in the house of God? There are attitudes that we should and should not bring into the house of God. And we ought to be willing to be given instruction on how to behave ourselves in the house of God. You know, it would be chaos if there wasn't some kind of structure, some kind of authority. Have you ever been somewhere where there was no structure, no authority, and nothing got done, and everything was crazy, and everything was chaos because there was no one uh, there was no individual, there were no group of people who were responsible for making sure that everything happened the way it ought to happen. And so you're just left in confusion and frustration. God is not a God of confusion. He didn't set up a church to be a place of confusion, a place where you leave more, more frustrated than you went in. God set it up and ordained it in a particular way so that we could receive what he has for us within the parameters that he set up. And then Paul said, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. It's the pillar and the ground of truth. The church is the foundation of truth. So uh, the church upholds truth. The church is committed to standing firm for what the Bible teaches. And so a church 
is committed to saying, listen, we're going to unify ourselves around the word of God. It's not just what he thinks and they think and what they think and they think. It's what the word of God says. How many are glad to be a part of a church that is willing to stand up for truth? Regardless, it doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what politicians say. It doesn't matter what people say. We're standing on the word of God. It is our foundation. And I believe, by the way, that the church is the only thing that is holding back the darkness of the spirit of the Antichrist. It is the church, the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit operating through the church in the world today, it is the only thing holding back the chaos of the spirit of the Antichrist. That's why when the church is raptured, it's going to be a whole other ballgame in the world. Just read the book of Revelation. When the church is raptured, it's going to be chaos in the world. Why? Because there will be no restraining force of God's spirit. And it will happen overnight. The world will change. And you will see things that have always been simmering, but they will come to the surface because the church was not there to hold back the tide of darkness. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the church. Can we do that? Lord, we thank you, God. I thank you for this church, Lord, and, and the broader church around the world that we're connected to. Millions of believers who love your word and who are, who are proud, oh God, to stand for truth and righteousness, Lord. People who sacrifice, people who love your kingdom more than they love their own pleasure, more than they love their own belongings, more than they love their own lives, even God. And Lord, I thank you that we are able to be a part of it. We give you praise in Jesus name. And everyone said in Jesus name.